So I thought, you know, sometimes we just got to go back to how it all began for all of us. If we really want to remember why we do what we do. And one of my favorite books on that topic, obviously other than the Bible, the Bible's my favorite, but a book is by Bill Hull called Jesus Christ Disciple Maker. And he describes in this book, the kind of premise and outline of the book is four important requests of Jesus. Now I want to warn you right up front, especially if you're visiting for the first time, maybe you're new to the Christian faith or church or who's this Jesus guy, I want to warn you, but I want to warn those of us who have claimed to follow Jesus, be ready, because these four requests will change your life if you choose to respond to them. In fact, they changed the life of 12 individuals so much that it has continued to change the world as we know it to this day. That's how amazing these four important requests are. And see, so often we think of the conversion of the followers of Jesus as this immediate moment. It wasn't. It was a three-year process of them first initiating their walk with Jesus, getting closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, and eventually living out the Great Commission of Jesus. So let's look at request number one. Are you ready? Because if I say it, and you're willing to respond to it, it could change your life as you know it. And if you look back and remember the first time you heard it, I know you can agree with me that when you respond to this request, it could change your life. The first one, come and see. This is an introductory phase where that occurred over the first four to five month period when Jesus is introduced to a group of disciples. He introduces himself, his nature, and his ministry. And we find it in John chapter 1, verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? That's a good question for all of us. As we follow Jesus, and He turns around and looks at you, what do you want? Do we have an answer? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Is that all they wanted? I don't think so. I think when you see Jesus and He asks you what do you want, it gets to the core of your soul. He's not even asking what, He's asking why. The great question we all have that we want the answer to, why? Why am I here? Why am I who I am? What is my purpose? But we get nervous sometimes about those kinds of questions because they're scary to answer. Uh, where are you staying? That's what we want. I think we're no different. I think there's times in our prayers to God, we want to we wanna ask those big questions. Uh, what am I going to do today, God? We settle for that mediocre rather than grandiose thing of faith and vision. But I love Jesus, even knowing probably what was in their heart. He said, come, he replied, and you will see. See, the very first request of Jesus, there's no expectation. It's an invitation. He didn't ask them to follow Him yet. He just said, come and see. That's the beginning of discipleship. To follow Jesus and see His life. And boy, what did they see? You only have to just peruse the Gospels and go, man, they saw miracles! They saw incredible compassion 
the whole social, Jesus and social justice. They saw amazing teaching. Confrontation with the religious establishment. They saw His authority. They saw both His humanness and His divinity. You know, I think it really kind of reminds me of this quote, I hear, I forget. I see, I remember. I do, I understand. He was inviting them to experience Christianity. Not just intellectually understand it from afar. Now here's the greatest point. He did not say, come to my church service. Right? There was no church service. At least not yet. That would come much later. There were synagogues that the Jewish culture that he participated in. But when he said, come and see, what was he actually telling them to come and see? His life. Okay, where are you staying? Well, little did they know, he has no place to lay his head. It was constantly moving where he was staying. And that's a life with God. It's never going to be settled and be comfortable when you follow Jesus. But if you're willing to take the risk to come and see, I think you're going to be scared, inspired, challenged, humbled by what you see when you follow Jesus. Here's a great quote by Bill from this book. The eyes of Jesus' disciples were open to a whole new approach to life. As the disciples observed the miracles performed by Jesus, they grew in faith. As they watched the spiritual enemy try to undermine the outreach of ministry, they grew in discernment. And as they came to see the importance of integrity of character for seeds or for spiritual effectiveness, they grew in humility. Early in the course of discipleship, the seeds are naturally just starting to germinate. But the process of spiritual multiplication begins small and then expands exponentially. With great acceleration, as each part of the body of believers works to increase the harvest. Consider what you have seen. When you think back to that initial moment, where you knew Jesus was actually turning to you, what do you want? And you maybe fumbled in your answer as well. And he said, come and see. What did you say? I know for me, I was a 23-year-old, a little disillusioned by Christianity already at this point, still wanting a relationship with God, but struggling in it, wanting to have pure relationships, but failing every time. I've been to many different churches, many different denominations, had many different spiritual experiences, but I basically was no longer living like I knew even what little I did know that Jesus wanted me to live. And when I was invited, actually not to church, I was invited to a party first, actually. <laughs> I got to come and see. And that, to me, was the most mind-blowing thing because I had been to church and saw people, my fellow members, on Sunday and then see completely different people, and I was one of them, the rest of the week. But suddenly, I'm now in the life of these disciples in L.A. at a party, and I see a difference. They're having fun with no alcohol, with no garbage language, with no innuendo of sexuality. There was a respect. 
Although I had gone there because the girl who invited me was cute, I noticed they kept interfering, the, the, these guys. I kept trying to get near her, and they just kept interfering. I'm like, what's going on? But I respected it. And then I got to see him at school. I got to see him in all the other places other than Sunday. And I go, there's something different about this group. And then they finally, like several weeks later, finally got me to come to a service. And what did I see? Something I had never seen. Diversity. What I mean by that is not just racial, but age. Right. Economy. There were people from all different backgrounds, all different just ages, all, and they were all together. And I was like, I had never seen this. I was either the one with all the rest of the white Hispanics, or I was the token Mexican if they wanted to call me that. I had never seen what I see. When I look out today, I still see it. What did you see? I want you to actually take a moment and share with whoever's next to you, left or right, what did you see? What did you remember? Share it right now. What did you see? fun watching how your faces changed as you started to remember what you saw. And here's my question. Can we still see? And since this reality is, unfortunately, the longer we've seen something, we don't see it the same way anymore. I think of Russia, for example. When we had gone to Russia the first time, it was overwhelming. But now that I've been there, now that I know the language, I have so many relationships, when I go back, I don't get that same feeling I had the first time until I bring someone who sees it the first time. Bringing the new people to Russia this summer. I get to see through them what I saw the first time. And that's what I realized, guys. For us to continue to see, we've got to invite other people to see. And they bring back that feeling that we saw in the very first place. We relive it all over again. I know everyone who was at that baptism this afternoon were like, I know you remembered your own time when you said Jesus is Lord. Guys, this request hasn't ended. Jesus is still inviting us to come and see. But guess what? Jesus wants more than you just being a spectator. So that's the problem with a lot of Christianity is it's more a spectator thing. You check in, you check out, you go watch your football. There's nothing wrong with watching football. I love football. I don't know why I planned a meeting during a Cowboy game. That was dumb on my part. <laughs> I will rethink that the next time. But he wants more than just seeing. And that leads to a second request. Come 
follow me. This established the next phase that would be a 10-month period when the five plus others would temporarily, not permanently, but temporarily drop their professions to travel with Jesus. So now I say, okay guys, you've seen, and I can tell from your response, you're excited about what you've seen, you're inspired by what you've seen, you've been motivated by, by what you've seen, but guess what? I don't want you just to spectate anymore. I want you to come do it with me. I want you to follow me more closely. I want you to not only see what I've done or not done, I want you to learn why I've done or what I have not done. And so we find that passage in Mark 1, verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. See, at first we've used this in the past. I'll be honest, we've all been guilty of this. This is the first time they ever met Jesus. And he said, follow me, and they did. That's not actually correct. They had heard of Jesus, had followed Jesus, had seen Jesus way before this moment. This, this was built up to. I think this is a mistake we make in evangelism, is we're calling people to follow before we ever ask them to come see. And you know where you need to ask them to come see? Not here at Sunday church service. If you want to invite them, please do. But you need to tell them to come see you in your life. That's what Jesus did. Only after that, then he then come back to them. Because now they've seen, they've got to make a response. And he said, seeing is not enough. Faith is doing more than seeing. I want you to come follow me. So he comes to these ones who have seen, he goes, Come, follow me, Jesus said. And don't forget, these were fishermen. Probably coming after a long night. Maybe successful, maybe not. Smelly for sure. This was their life. This was their purpose. Yet, they had been seeing Jesus and knew, there's something more than just the mundane purposes of life. There's something more exciting, something more inspiring. I want to be a part of that. I want what Jesus has. Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That was the moment. That's the moment when you stopped seeing, and you made a decision to follow. And they made that decision. It says at once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now we know from chronological, eventually they actually returned home, returned to their jobs. But they got the experience, they got the opportunity to not just see, but to follow. But I always have this question, why? Why did they follow? Why did they go, yes, dropped their nets and went for it? Well, I think these reasons are good. Bill Hull says this in his book. Number one, they'd already been with him. When you've been with Jesus, you can't help but be inspired to do something greater. Which we've got to ask ourselves, are you inspired to do something greater right now? The problem is not that you can't, or that you won't. It's just maybe you haven't spent enough time with Jesus. Because when you spend time with Jesus, man, it just calls you to a whole other life. The second thing of why they responded is because they were given an invitation, not a responsibility. Did you catch that? 
He didn't say, follow me, and you're going to have to do all the work to be a fisher of men. He didn't do that. He said, I invite you to follow me. I will make you fishers of men. This is my responsibility if you're going to follow me. Which really ought to challenge us as we share our faith, that the responsibility is not just on the one we share our faith with, it's on us. That if we're going to be like Jesus in evangelism, we can't just plant the seed and run. We got to do more than that. We got to help them become fishers of men. Which is really hard to do if we're not doing it. Right? That was the number one thing that convicted me when I first studied the Bible of why I knew I wasn't disciples because I didn't even know what one was. First of all, I couldn't even tell you the scriptures where they were. Second, I never made one. And that convicted me because I'm asked to. But I can't make what I'm not. So this message isn't about how to do that. You want to know about how to become a disciple? Ask one of us. And those who respond, take responsibility. I will make you fishers of men. It was an invitation, not a responsibility, not yet. But they also were given a vision, not a job. There was something inspiring about it. There's this fish. I've done that for years. It's hard labor. It's good work. I, I, I feel a lot of results from that work. I can see it. But is this it? And suddenly Jesus says, I will make you a fisher of men. And it won't just change you, it will change those around you. You know, I was an artist, and so the guy who studied with me, he kind of rearranged it. It's like, okay, you've painted, you've drawn. Now I'm going to call you to draw the hearts of men to be like God. Me? First of all, I can't do that because my heart's not like God right now. We'll get, we'll get to that. But they weren't afraid to give me that vision that I could do more than just draw on paper. That me, Derek, a, a sinner, someone who's not doing what I just realized I'm called to do, can do that? That I can make a difference in someone's life? You're, you're joking. No, no, you can't. And little did I know, within a week, I'd be baptizing my roommate. I'd be baptizing my sister. And little did I know, a few months later, I'd be baptizing people in a different language. <laughs> And that vision hasn't ended. It still continues to this day. But it's amazing how we can lose sight of that. How exciting that is. When's the last time you've been in a study helping someone else to follow Jesus? If you haven't in a while, it can change real quickly. But first ask them to come see. And then ask them to come follow. I think that's amazing. See, when they follow Jesus... They got to see more than just the miracles. They got to see how He loved. How He touched the untouchable. How He spoke the Word of God with authority and He knew the Word. They knew that He had a relationship with God because they're like, teach me how to pray. So when you follow Jesus, it changes how you're going to live, not just what you believe. That's what it means to follow. And that was the most exciting part. Parts about following Jesus that I had never known within just days of hearing about Him, suddenly I'm doing, even though I was new to it, and it was exciting. But then I asked myself 27 years later as a disciple, is it still exciting? Just like come and see, when you start calling other people to follow, you remember why you followed 
Are we still following? Because there's a lot to still learn. And it's exciting to follow Jesus. But guess what? He's not done. Okay, you've seen. Now you've followed. You're more than a spectator. But I need more than that. Because I'm at some point not going to be here. And I need you to be me in my absence. And that's where we get to the third phase, the third request. Are you guys ready? Because we're all hearing this. Are you ready? Because once I say it, you have to choose how you're going to respond to it. I'm going to say it anyway. Come and be with me. It's more personal. It's more intimate. In other words, you're no longer just attending the Jesus following. You're no longer just in the crowd that is actually moving with Him. You're actually being very close to Him. You know, in Matthew 9, verse 37, it says this, Then He said to His disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest field. This is the introduction to the third phase of Jesus' discipleship. Basically, He said that, and I don't think the disciples understood, they're going to be the workers. That's what was going to happen. And this next phase was going to be 20 months, almost two years. But they were going to be with Jesus and do what Jesus was doing. But they had to be sent by God. And so Jesus always practices what He preaches. What did He just say? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. So what did Jesus go do? He went and asked the Lord of the harvest. Who are going to be the workers that I'm going to make true fishers of men? That's, and He did. Luke 6 verse 12. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Hey, if you want to be like Jesus, it's the last time we spent a whole night praying to God. When morning came, He called His disciples to Him and chose 12 of them, which implied there was probably more than 12. It doesn't say about the, the others He didn't choose. Maybe they were more qualified. Maybe they actually were more eager. But for whatever reason, after praying to God, these were the 12, and included in that 12 would be the eventual Judas the betrayer. That ought to humble all of us as we're called to lead. That as a leader, God may have on our list of people, people we don't get along with. People that may backstab us, just like Jesus. And yet we're still called to be with them. Wow! What's amazing is how Jesus was with these twelve. No one really knew it was Judas until later. That says a lot about Jesus, of what it's like to be with Him. When morning came, He called to His disciples and chose twelve of them, whom He also designated apostles. So, He's like, great, you've seen? you followed? Ha ha! You're going to come be with me? In fact, I'm giving you a new designation. Apostle, which means one who is sent. You're going to go do what you've been seeing me doing. And who did he choose to do this? Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, 
who became a traitor. Now, one thing I love about this, you notice that family is important? There's two sets of brothers in there. Oh, Jesus, that's nepotism! How could you hire someone from your own family? If they're qualified. Those who God put, put on the list. I love the fact there's two sets of brothers in there. I think God expects our family to do this together. Now, if they're not qualified, they shouldn't be in there just because they're related to family. I totally agree. But we shouldn't be afraid of it. Isn't that what we want for all of our children? That together they serve God? I love that. What does this calling of the twelve emphasize? Well, first of all, the importance of prayer in finding workers. Mark 3, 13 adds this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted. These are the ones He wanted, and they came to Him. I love that addition. But these are the ones He wanted. He wanted Judas Iscariot. He wanted two sets of brothers. He wanted Thomas, the doubter. But just don't forget, the Bible also said, Thomas is one of the few people who said, I die for you. We sometimes forget that. We only remember Thomas as the one who doubted. He was bold too. Eventually he did die for Jesus. These are amazing. Come and be with me. Do you remember that moment when you realized, wait a minute, I'm not just attending church. I've been called to do what Jesus did. Do you remember that moment? Maybe you knew it from the start. Maybe you realized it later. But we're all going to see it. And if you haven't gotten there yet, I'm asking you all right now. Come and be with Jesus. Come and do what He's doing. It will change your life and the life of those around you. That's exciting stuff. I mean, could there have been more qualified people than these 12? Probably. But why these 12? I I love this quote from, from the book of what this 12 represents. And it's so encouraging for all of us. Let me read it. What a kaleidoscope of humanity. A tax collector, Matthew, and a tax hater, Simon the Zealot. The impulsive Peter and the quiet, analytical Philip. He's the one who could estimate how much it would cost to feed 5,000 people, like on the spot. He was very smart. The ambitious James and John. Yeah, that's pretty ambitious. Can I sit on the right hand of you, Jesus? Which means you're sitting, one of you sitting in the lap of God. That's pretty ambitious. Beside the more res- the reserved, Andrew and Bartholomew. A man who was willing to die, Thomas. You've got to remember he said some cool things too. And a man who just couldn't take it, Judas. The genius of Jesus' choice of these men is that when we look at them, it's like looking in the mirror. When I look at the mirror, I see the impulsiveness of Peter, the apprehension of Andrew, the skepticism of Thomas, the calculating doubt of Philip, and even the mutinous leanings of Judas. You see, this list of men is not meant to be held up as a model of perfection. Rather, these disciples are a promise. A promise to you and me that God can and will use us. We are just like these men. And they are just like us. Isn't that true? And if we put any 12 of you in a group, we'd be like, okay. (laughs) Right? Let's just be honest. You'd be like, let's just start getting 12 together. Let's see what happens. And you know what? It would happen. Because God doesn't choose without a purpose. Does God want to win this world? 
right? Now, we all have our favorite football teams or basketball teams or baseball teams, right? And you know that the owner and the, and the coach and the trainer and the, and the president and all those things, they want the team to win, right? Are they just going to pick anyone? No, they're going to pick the best that they can, right, with the money that they have. So if God picked you, He knows that with you as you are, weaknesses, strengths, and everything in between is exactly what He needs to accomplish it. God doesn't pick losers. He wants to win and He chose you. I forget that sometimes. Because we can so focus on our faults, our lack of fruit maybe, we seem unproductive, Maybe we feel lonely and we think, God can't use me. Are you kidding me? He can absolutely use you. I've seen it over and over and over again. I really do believe I could choose any 12 of you and go to a a completely new city, and if we just love God and love each other, there will be a church. I believe that. I've seen it happen. Now, I've also seen taking 12 somewhere, because we didn't really love God and we didn't really love each other, we had to come back. So there's a trick in all this. It's not just having 12, it's loving God and loving one another. But if we do that, any one of us in this room, God can use. I love that. You know, Matthew 10, 24 says, A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. We're not going to ever be above Jesus, guys. He's Jesus. But we are still called to be like Him. And He'll help us get there. He's the one who makes us fishers of men. We don't make ourselves fishers of men. He makes us. But if we follow Him because we've seen Him, and then we go more than just follow, I want to be with Him, it will change your life. So it leads to the final request. Because see, at some point, unfortunately, Jesus was about to leave. Remain in me. This stage is where Jesus would take them through the most drastic change of all. It all began in an upper room when Jesus let them know He'd be leaving and promised the sending of the Holy Spirit. With Jesus around, human nature would not allow the Holy Spirit to have a full ministry. Jesus explained that He had to leave so the Counselor could come. And then the work of God's kingdom could expand. We find this in John 15, 1-8, the final passage. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need to be all reminded of that one. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. And of course, that means you're probably going to be wishing what he is, Because if you're going to be in Him, you're going to wish what He wants, not what you want. And it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the stage 
that would continue until their death. This is a stage for all of us who've already seen, who've already followed, who've already chose to be with Him and lead and use our gifts for God's kingdom. This is the one we got to do until the end. And it's hard sometimes. And there's going to be times we feel like, um, the branch is going to cut off. God is way more gracious than we sometimes imagine. But He will prune you. He's pruned me many times, and I'm always scared of it, but it's always for my better good to be more fruitful. Sometimes not necessarily be more fruitful numerically. It needs to be more fruitful spiritually, like the gifts of the Spirit. But the context of this is that we're making disciples. That our connection with Jesus, because we saw, we followed, we're in Him, and we choose to remain in Him, we've asked others to come and do the same. And it bears fruit. I love the word here, menno, is the Greek. Which, by the way, learning Greek, I am so thankful for an English Bible. Because this week, man, I was humble. I had to translate some scriptures. And then later you get a correction. Oh, man, I was terrible. I, I, I had the wrong adjectives with the wrong nouns. I was like, I am so thankful for an English translation. Uh, I have to improve on my Greek translation. But it was, it was very humbling. It says, to stay, to remain, to live to dwell, to abide, to be in a state that begins and continues. Remain in me. This is the question I think we all have to ask. How are we remaining in Jesus? There was two things mentioned here that give us some insight how to do that. He said you're already clean because of the Word. We remain in Him by remaining in the Word. Second is, Ask anything I w- you wish and I will give it to you is prayer. That's how we remain in Him because we're in relationship with Him. A prayer is, is not just requests. It's, it's a relationship. It's, it's communication back and forth. It's real. It's, it's honest. But it's, but it's also appreciative. It's grateful. It's, it's joyful. Jesus, I get to talk to you this morning. Now, oh man, i got to pray because someone's going to ask me today, did I pray? That's not, that's not remaining in Jesus. We've got to remain in Him. So I think too often we focus more on how we're doing in and with the church than how we're doing with and in Jesus. And I think if we'll just get that one straight, the church part will work itself out. And a lot of people want to be a part of it. So guys, this is getting back to the basics. We have the whole fall ahead of us. And the fall can be an amazing opportunity to reach out to people. Because the holidays can bring a lot of different things to people's lives. Most of all, a desire to know why I'm here. Why am I lonely? Should I be? There's a greater purpose and we have something to give them. So guys, as we leave today, I want you to remember these requests, but I also want you to continue to respond to them. And if you're new to this, don't be afraid. They are scary. They were scary to us. But the great thing is you don't do them alone. And if you'd like to know about these quests more specifically, grab one of them next to you and say, help me out. Because I want to respond to these. I want to come and see. I want to come and follow. I want to come and be with Jesus. And I want to remain in Him to the very end. Let's go to God in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord God, thank You so much for these simple, yet truly challenging requests. It helps just sort away all the religiosity and gets back to just having a relationship with you and ultimately with each other.
For when you called them to follow, you did not call them just individually, but collectively. God, help us to see again. Help us to remember what we have seen. And let us see through new eyes as you give us the opportunity to show Jesus to others. Help us to follow. Help us to remember how you lived, not just how you died. And help us to be with you. That first priority in our life is to spend time with you in your word and in prayer and communication with you. But God, as we face the challenges of life, help us to remain in you. If we are a branch that's not productive for whatever reason, prune us so that we could be even more fruitful. But God, help us to remember that apart from you, we can do nothing. Thank you for these requests. Help us to respond with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Truly, Jesus is Lord. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.